Welcome to Homegrown, a podcast from Keep Indiana Learning. In this podcast, we elevate the voices of teachers, practitioners, and thought leaders as we all work together to transform education from the ground up. Welcome back to season two of the Homegrown podcast. Today, we join Tim Wellhelmus for a podcast that was recorded live at the Keep Indiana Learning Virtually Different Summer Conference. Tim talked with Caitlin Krauss, author of Mindful by Design and Designing Wonder. Their discussion of mindfulness in the classroom to enhance teaching and learning is perfect for the start of the school year. I'm your host, Tim Wilhelmus. I'm a high school English teacher, a former innovation curriculum and technology specialist for the Evansville Vanderbilt School Corporation. I'm a digital learning coach for Keep Indiana Learning. I'm the co-chair for the Indiana Connected Educators Conference, and I'm an Imagineer for EdCamp Magic. So I keep myself pretty busy today. Today, we're going to be talking with Caitlin Kraus, an educator, a consultant, founder of uh, MindWise, author of multiple books and resources that we will be talking about, and an all-around wonderful person to know. So welcome, Caitlin. Thank you very much, Tim. It's great to be here. Talking about uh, mindfulness and wonder in the classroom. So I'm super excited to do that. Before we do, though, I hope you don't mind if I share just an anecdote really quick. I uh, went back to the classroom uh, this past year, which was a crazy year to go back to the classroom in. Um, and I found out that I was gonna be doing that about two to three weeks before I actually did it. Um, and I am so lucky and glad that I had this book and it was what I was in the middle of reading at the time. And it made such a difference to me going back to the classroom after 10 years in the COVID world. And I just wanted to say thank you for that because it was an amazing experience for me, and it and it really helped center me on what was what's gonna what was going to matter and what was important this year. So thanks. I'm so glad. I didn't know that, and you know, I knew you went back to the classroom, but I didn't know. I, I think any sort of anchors that we can have to sustain us and keep us inspired uh, that means a lot to me. Yeah. Also, we know each other, so sometimes when you know the author you can picture the book and the writing in their voice and it's kind of like having a conversation back and forth like we're doing right now so absolutely really and it really was and um if you haven't had a chance to check out the book it's got a uh, wonderful little uh, anecdotes of of uh, caitlin's in it uh, as well as poetry that she's written and um just great uh exercises and and just wonderful um things that just kind of help that feel very personal coming off the page, I guess is what I want to say about that. Mindful by Design is a book. It's, it's a collection of ideas and exercises. And it's really, I mean, backwards planning, the book was inspired by my wish to have mindfulness seen as more of an integrated opportunity. So not something that's separate from the classroom or something, you know, some teachers would tell me, oh, I'm doing a mindfulness practice. And it's like two minutes at the beginning of each class or five minutes, and that's great. And there's still an opportunity to look at curriculum planning and infuse some of the values underneath mindfulness into the whole curriculum design. So I wanted to really give teachers, learners a better sense of freedom by offering up all of these um, interdisciplinary exercises and also personal kind of practices that we can have as teachers that allow us to feel like we have more resilience more capacity, more ability to breathe 
and um, actually find joy and creativity in what we're doing in the midst of what can feel very chaotic and always changing. Um, so that was my desire to write the book because there were a lot of books um, by some of the leaders in the field, John Kabat-Zinn, others. There were books about mindfulness in general and mindfulness practices, uh, but I had been a teacher in the classroom for over 20 years um, and really wanted to work on how we find um, resources that are, are really well curated and take the best brain science and apply it to inside the classroom, inside our personal lives, um, our creative spirits. So that's a little of the background, but I have, um, I have a pretty uh, diverse background and I know we're gonna probably get into that, so I won't go there, but that's, that's the backstory behind the backstory. So when I started writing Mindful by Design, I realized, oh, I have all of these resesources from my experiences around the world that I can bring in. And that's where I- to like share some of those. I mean, like what, what's in the melting pot that, that, that fired your creative jet? Uh, well, uh, I mean, I'm focusing on your, what was it, your imagineering, your- mm -hmm your Disney kind of background. Um, I am a person who's fueled by curiosity and a sense of wonder, a sense of joy. Um, so some of the background is that I, I was living overseas when I was little. I was um, in an international school setting, um, surrounded by other languages. My parents, uh, we traveled around all over the world when I was, um, below the age of 10. So that's when you're just trying to make sense of things and kind of come up with a, um, I think uh, what I've learned is we like to learn in patterns. We like to find patterns. Our brain is always looking for um, some kind of routine that replicates, but we love it when there's an element of surprise. Like when the pattern breaks, that's when the brain goes like, oh, wow, something's different. Uh, what's that all about? And if we can get over our fear and kind of dive into a certain spirit of curiosity, that's where um, we're forming new kind of uh, connections. Uh, so I like to think about that learning in my own life, because when I was little, I was always kind of trying to fit in, but also realizing, oh, you know, it's it's a diverse world out there. So it's... um actually more inspiring when there are different parts that are, uh, or different people to me, different cultures, different backgrounds. Um, so as I grew up, I was really interested in both the sciences and also the arts. So originally I wanted to be a uh, pilot. And so I joined the Navy. I was in a Naval ROTC program looking at um, sort of like Top Gun training. And uh, then my eyesight wasn't good enough. I had to adjust. I had to, you know, change my whole uh, life dream and life plan. And um, I really, you know, the spirit inside of me wanted to see, okay, how can we um, teach a lot of people? Because I was an English major. So I know you teach English in high school. I, I love literature and, and wanted to see, okay, you can love literature and also like things like engineering and and like math and science, um, these worlds kind of come together. So long story short, when I started teaching in high school full-time, I was also in charge of the interdisciplinary program development. And if anyone's listening and you have to uh, align with standards and you know, you know, this was around the time that uh, writing across the curriculum was really important. Um, common core standards were starting to be developed. Um, so, 
Yeah, I'll I'll pause there because I, I feel like there's even more to build from here. But that <laughs> that led me to international teaching and and kind of aligning all those standards with creativity and mindfulness. For sure. Well, it's really important and, and valuable to yeah. to have the background there because um, that's one of the things. It's hard to pigeonhole your work because honestly, it comes from so many places, and that's a really cool thing. That's I think that's part of what I really enjoyed about. Um, mindful by design is that, you know, as I'm reading, I'm reading anecdotes from your classroom. I'm reading anecdotes from your life, I, you know, and, and, and I, that I think is an important, I mean, we're such narrative creatures, right? And it's important to share our narratives. So that's, uh, that's, that's valuable. Can I also so, add, I, yeah. I love, um, I just want to give a shout out to Corwin Press, uh, the publisher of Mindful by Design. Um, they encouraged me to to really use my own voice in context and to tell those stories because it's not just cookie cutter, you know, first step, do this, use this template. You know, there are a lot of tools and guides in the book, um, but Corwin Press and my whole editor team, they were saying, you know, let yourself be seen, share your voice. And then I came back to them and said, well, how about some student voices? And they said, yes, and. So I ended up doing a lot of different student interviews to get um, those voices into the book of how students were feeling with each exercise and um, what mattered to them in classroom design. So I really appreciate that um, a book can bring about conversation. So if anyone out there is saying, oh, I have stories to tell, you know, you can tell them in small ways. Um, certainly there are different like nuggets of sharing and, and story vehicles online, offline. Um, in this book, each of the chapters was like micro stories with uh, students involved. So thanks, Tim. <laughs> thanks, Corwin. You know, I, th I think about <laughs> the, um, the, how every time we've talked, I feel like I'm, what you're saying, I'm immediately transferring into that sort of question or that statement that, that teachers have, which is, how do I, you know, how, that's really interesting. I want to see how I apply that with my students. That's really interesting. I want to see um, how that becomes part of the work that I do. And I, and I, I guess we all do that as human beings. So let, I, I do want to jump forward because I, I'm, I haven't had a chance to read um, Designing Wonder, but the title alone is is a thrill ride for me. So that's really <laughs> cool. And I'd really love to know a little bit more about the new book. Sure, sure. So um, so let's let's fast forward because I feel like this is um, we're doing sort of a train track of stories about the book and stories about my my journey. So um, I went to teach abroad in Belgium and then in Switzerland. Um, I have U.S. teaching experience, too, in um, middle school and high school. And uh, when I was overseas, especially in Switzerland, I started doing more um, uh, my mindfulness studies because I, I would be studying at the same time, learning the brain, um, a lot of the history of uh, meditative practices, focus practices, um, you know, we, we didn't really talk about what mindfulness is with Mindful by Design, but it's, it, in my mind, it's the ability to increase your awareness, your appreciation for each moment as it unfolds, um, which kind of leads toward, we use the word authentic, but it really does break down these barriers um, and let us connect with more of our authentic selves, um, you know, students and teachers using these storytelling exercises to find, um, 
you know, a true voice and agency. So for me, mindfulness applied is that, that embodied awareness, um, stripped down of judgment, you know, it's, it's really that appreciation for each moment and an opportunity. Um, so I, I couple that a lot with growth mindset in the book and talk about Carol Dweck's research. And um, then I was applying this in Switzerland, using it in the classroom. And I felt inspired all the time to start my own company, to really delve into the learning and leadership theories, um, be able to apply that, be able to, to move around and train other groups. So I started a company called MindWise back in 2015. And at the same time, the learning labs that I was a part of were doing a lot of immersive work with um, transmedia. So everything from uh, right now, Zoom, you know, how we're connecting and how we're making learningful meaning um, using technology as a bridge. So tech isn't the end goal, it's just the conduit. It's so. I feel like I'm, I'm speaking to people who already believe in this because, you know, here we are. Um, <laughs> but uh, as I was doing all the research, I just fell in love with virtual reality. There was a VR lab overseas, lots of research into learning in the brain, talks about um, the plasticity of uh, the brain when you're in virtual environments. Um, there were researchers in Switzerland specifically working on empathy and uh, different studies into um, the way that our attachment to our own frame of reference becomes a little different when we're in a simulated environment. So I just started playing. I think, you know, you love something, you start playing with it. Um, as I started to discover more about virtual reality, I could see all of the links between the mindfulness studies and that open-minded quality of appreciation and joy. So I have a headset behind me. If, if you put on a headset, I know this is kind of cliche, but you picture somebody's face doing what? Like, Tim, what do you see all the pictures with people? Yes. <laughs> this is looking perfect. Looking around. Yeah, looking around, mouth open, like, wow, this is amazing. And um, I heard from a researcher that, that the body does these things. Like, we, our mouth is open and we're, we're just, like, in that spirit because, because we are open. Like our, our body is mirroring what we're doing. We're, we're open with that sense of awe or that sense of wonder. So, um, so this book that I wrote, Designing Wonder, was about all of that research. Like how is it that we can design such meaningful experiences in immersive environments, whether it's virtual reality, augmented reality, um, putting someone into, let's say, a, a world that's a, or having them build a world that's a 3D landscape. Uh, sometimes you can do that in a web browser through programs like Mozilla Hubs, or, you know, I, I was really looking in this book at some of the learning theories, and then also um, the experience design, what you would want to consider as an emotional experience designer using some of those tools and uh, considerations. Um, and I, I love books like this because what I'm writing is a nice, um, it, it's a nice complement to the technical books that are out there. So if people are studying, let's say, some kind of programming language, or if they're using like Unity, or if they're looking at, at world building, they could take those technical books and then say, now I'm going to couple that with this book that's more about um, the practices of emotional experience design and wonder and joy. So I finished that book in the middle of um, 2020. It gave me a good time to um, step back because 
we couldn't connect in person. So I was doing a lot of the final interviews and research um, in 2020, and it came out last fall in digital form. So very cool. Yeah, long. <laughs> sorry, a long one to get there, but we got there. Well, you're making me think about something you said earlier, which is that idea that you know we're kind of built to recognize patterns, but we're most alive when we break those patterns, and virtual reality really does break those patterns for mm -hmm. us. Um, it's it's real, but it's not. You know, it it it, it can break the rules really easily. We can be underwater. We can be um, on the moon. We can, you know, do all of those things. And so I, I'm excited to understand how the, the brain science kind of takes us there. Um, and, and are, have we seen um, studies that involve, for example, um, schools and the use of virtual reality or, or classrooms and the use of virtual reality? We have seen a lot of um, beginning studies. There haven't been uh, longitudinal studies because of the, um, because it's just so, it's not so new in terms of the technology. There have been virtual devices, um, I think back to the 1950s, you know, they've had equipment. It's just to have a group of people, a cohort that they study over time. Um, that hasn't been done deeply and I know because um, right now I'm teaching at Stanford a course about digital well-being and uh, Jeremy Balenson who directs the virtual human interaction lab at Stanford we were talking and he was saying um, you know one of his dreams would be to have the same group of people tracked over time because you do have studies where people come in and then they're uh, some some of them are combining biofeedback with uh, um, user-generated, more of a um, uh, qualitative uh, data gathering about how it feels. Then there's some quantitative research on the body and, and well-being. Research is showing great um, responses in terms of learners feeling inspired and feeling engaged. Um, and there's a company called Foundry 10 that does a lot of research. So after this, I could give some notes so that people can look at the notes and, and look up some of that research. It's, it's exciting, it's inspiring, and it kind of pushes us to go deeper into um, what we're considering. And uh, for anyone listening who thinks that VR is, um, it kind of is all or nothing binary, uh, a lot of what I've been writing about in my book is, is designing the whole experience uh, like the reflection before, the reflection afterwards, and having um, experiences involving virtual reality that don't go too long in duration, because we have this kind of, uh, you know, our body has a fatigue sort of after a certain amount of time. And, um, you know, there are a lot of work that I'm doing in the ethics and safety areas, um, also in data privacy. So it's like, we have to consider all of this, the big picture, and there's still a case for that, um, that very intentional uh, experience of wonder and joy and delight that you can build into a learning program. So, so help yeah. me uh, kind of visualize this, what an application in the classroom might look like and from beginning to end, and how does that play into the curriculum and, and the other considerations that, you know, teachers carry with them. Sure. Well, um, 
Let's use a social emotional. I think having a social emotional learning experience with virtual reality is really wonderful. Um, the first thing that, well, it might be interesting to consider wonder. There, there are different types of wonder. So in the book, I talk about different facets of wonder because there is, I mean, if I say wonder to you, you might think, oh, I'm wondering about something. Like if I say wonder, what, what do you actually think? Well, I tend to think that word tends to trigger the, like the awe emotion for me, right? Like I always think about wonder as, as being in a state of wonder, like, wow, you know? Uh, yeah. So, so there's, um, there's that, that wonder that's the um, wondering about something, like I wonder why the sky is blue. Um, then, so I would call that more like an intention of attention on something and trying to find out why and trying to, you know, solve something that you're wondering about. Then there's um, the second facet of wonder that I talk about in the book is the wondering beyond ourselves. Like, hmm, I wonder what it would be like to consider things from Tim's point of view, or I wonder, you know, how it might feel if we lived on Mars. And, and that's a little deeper than just research. It's more like empathy, or mm -hmm. I wonder, I wonder what it's like to grow up in a different place, you know, in the world with a different set of conditions. So um, that second wonder is kind of going beyond the barriers of our own attachment to our own story. Um, the third facet is wondering, like surfing wonder, sort of riding the waves of wonder, your train of thoughts. If uh, sometimes people who do endurance sports, they say it feels like they're surfing wonder when they're in a state of flow and they're kind of just in the zone or creatively. So, you know, tracking wonder brain states is kind of going back to William James and, and some of those practices. If anyone likes to wake up and journal right away, or you have the most creative ideas right before you go to sleep, you know, that's, that's part of that openness and that, that sense of wonder that the, the brain goes into. So uh, using these practices, let's say, um, there are two more. The, the fourth facet that's talked about in the book is called the overview effect. So with wonder, um, astronauts have this. They report that they, they um, kind of look down on planet Earth and they feel this sense of deep connection, uh, deep mm -hmm. awe, kind of a reverence for the connection of everybody on planet Earth. And this feeling of being very small and also very large all at once. So that, that overview effect, that sense of wonder um, is amazing. And then the, the last facet is this, this idea of presence and wonder where um, it's a wonder of the gestalt. Like the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Like you don't break it down, you just appreciate the whole thing. So, um, so leading these exercises in the book, I mean, a VR exercise that's really meaningful with social emotional learning could be that a group of students, let's just say, for, for the case of saying that they have accessibility to headsets and they're, maybe these students are separated. Maybe they're all um, learning at home or you know they're in different classrooms around the world and they wanna connect. You take this group of people and you welcome them into a collaborative space. So I would say, um, you know, one of the spaces that uh, I've hosted events in and different, different kind of gatherings is a Japanese Zen garden. So 
um, people come into that space, maybe they've had a really hectic day, they gather around a koi pond in VR, and they're able to just kind of drop in, like even right now, you could imagine yourself being there and just, just kind of take a breath and exhale and let go. And I've had people in VR just saying, oh, wow, you know, being in there, you start to hear the, the little kind of water of the koi pond, that, that sensory experience of hearing it and look down and see the fish kind of swimming around. There are um, trees nearby with, uh, with petals because they're flowering and the petals are kind of dropping softly on the landscape and there's moss on the ground. And you can have students just kind of kind of drop into their senses and start to appreciate the five senses. Um, you know, they feel that, that grounding of being in that space. And then um, the, there are different kinds of collaboration exercises that they can do one-on-one uh, -on -one that are um, social emotional exercises, mirroring exercises. Um, and then if you want to build in wonder, you can take same group of students, you've had that grounding exercise, so they're aware of their senses. And then um, I've transported them up to a landscape that's like a lunar landscape where you're looking down on planet Earth. And uh, talk about, wow, it's like this, this group, you know, you're doing things together, then you're, you know, exploring, you have a um, a model of the Apollo 11 landing module right next to you. So you can look at that, explore that in 3D, and then just take a pause to look back at planet Earth and kind of breathe and have this mindfulness moment of just each person appreciating that, you know, and that can be a moment of quiet, moment of pause. Um, yeah, you come back after you, you know, go back and take off the headset, you gather together and say, well, you know, what did that feel like? Um, what were you curious to explore more deeply? You know, it's kind of a way of going out of yourself and seeing like, okay, these, whatever mm -hmm. I felt was limiting me at the moment is, is not really limiting me. I can change my perspective. So that's just one example, but. From an English language arts perspective, I could imagine, um, you know, it's, it's, similar but not the same as me taking my students out to the courtyard um, for just a little bit of inspiration for, for writing, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, and let's just say for sake of accessibility that people don't have headsets, um, there's a group that I'm part of, a team at Science VR that takes um, ideas of wonder and delight and puts them into landscapes in hubs. So we built a, an Alice in Wonderland theme place where people could come in, um, you know, and we've had, we've had recent um, gatherings, you know, teachers bringing their students and they all go to this website. So everybody who has, um, all you need is a browser, web browser, and it's open source, it's open access. Um, people come into uh, the Alice in Wonderland landscape and then they get to pick what avatar they play and um, there are little logic puzzles and games because Lewis Carroll loves like wordplay games. Mm -hmm. So you could have poetry sections with Jabberwocky and also um, people doing the logic puzzles. There's a little maze um, to travel through that's in the garden. And it's amazing, even just in 2D, you right. do that for 10 minutes. And then, as you were saying, you, you go back to what might feel like an expressive exercise, like, you know, 
a piece of writing and suddenly, you know, you feel refreshed. So you can go back and, and do that with more intention and spirit. And it, it also builds camaraderie, which I think we all want to have those, those four elements of projects and passion and peers and play. That's my, my lifelong kindergarten four P's. So yeah, if we can I love that. that. Let's say, okay, say the four P's again. Uh, four P's. This is a uh, Seymour Papert that uh, you know he wrote Mindstorms, and then mm -hmm. he he started designing Lifelong Kindergarten at MIT. He said every every great learning experience needs to have the ingredients of projects, passion, peers, and play. So I'm usually thinking in in what I'm doing. Oh, you know, am I considering the four P's? Like, how am I encouraging a sense of play and you know, is there, is there some opportunity for each person to express their passion? Do we have more of a pedagogy mindset where we're co-mentoring and, you know, having that spirit of, of peers learning with each other? And, and you know, I believe in project-based learning and, and having projects be um, co-creative. And also, of course, they're about product, but more about process. Like, what's happening? How am I, how am I a visible learner? in the process so so you've made me uh wonder i have a wonder um, wonder away <laughs> okay yeah. um so this past year has been a challenge yes for sure mm -hmm. so what have we learned about the importance of mindfulness and um wonder in learning in this past year well i think i think we've learned i <laughs> I think I've learned because I, you know, I don't speak for everybody, but I, I've noticed myself getting more curious about discomfort. Um, I'm somebody that does believe very deeply in wonder and joy, and it doesn't mean that the moments don't have gravity. Like there's gravity and there's also levity, and um, yeah, I think I think this past year there's a genuine desire to focus on connection, whether that means our sense of connection inside of ourselves, um, or a connection that we can express and feel with each other in community, uh, with our students. Um, I think you know, in, in my teaching, um, so I'm teaching, and it's been all online at Stanford, and I've had. Um, different ways of navigating, you know, with students letting them be a part of um, the design process about how we learn, um, how we're expressing ourselves. You know, it it's not it's not just one way. So I think for me, um, mindfulness has has really taught me even more about vulnerability, about about being willing to show up and get curious and also get um, deeply self-compassionate about, about things not being great at times and, and just kind of sitting with that. Um, Tara, Tara Brock um, has a practice that she calls RAIN, which is to um, recognize emotion and try to feel in our body where we're feeling it. So like if I notice I'm feeling um, tightness in my chest or something like that. She'd say, oh, recognize that, um, acknowledge it, name it. Mm -hmm. um, then investigate it is the I, and then, and then she'll say, can you nurture it? And that was different for me because 
um, I was used to, you know, moving around the world and sometimes I didn't realize it, but I was building up this kind of athlete, like, let's just do it. Let's just get it done. You know, let's do it well. Um, and this past year kind of taught me to be, oh gosh, even more whole in terms of, um, staying curious about that discomfort and saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to name that. And then if I've named it, how am I going to attend to it and allow myself to um, step back from certain things, give myself more capacity? Maybe I'm speaking to some people, you know, this summer that want to use the summer to restore and renew. And that might mean um, lowering the sound on certain things that, you know, we're, we're expected to do so much. And I think, um, yeah, this, this past year has kind of, it's, it's at least taught me that that level of attending to, to what I'm feeling is, is needed kind of from my own body. So mindfulness teaches me to, to tune into that. Does that, does that reach you? It does, in fact, reach what you would say. Yeah, it it does reach me. How quickly social emotional learning took a a, a you know a step to, towards the forefront of the work we were doing um, that we had to wonder um, together about how to succeed in this environment. It was you know it was a it was a a striking time, I think. So I, I do want to ask this question because I ask this question in all my podcasts. So if someone's interested in um, both of these topics, mindfulness and wonder in their classroom, but where, where would you point someone? I, I encourage people listening to, you know, certainly if they want to check out things that I have on my website or check out books, um, both of my books don't rely on technology. So I, I build in applications that that sometimes involve virtual reality, um, but it's really, it's really human. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of storytelling, a lot of practices. Um, and I was just thinking about breathing. We didn't mention breathing at all yet, but <laughs> breathing is something <laughs> that we all do. And um, simple breathing practices uh, this past year too, just to go back to them. Um, that was the way I started to get into mindfulness. And I think you know, for anyone who might be either feeling tension or even just curious about um, different breathing techniques, when you start to study them and think about the in-breath and the out-breath, um, you can also do this really creatively with students. Um, it, I'll give an English example. They say that um, Shakespeare's iambic pentameter was built upon the length of a human breath. So pretty cool, right? That you can you can see the pace of poetry as the in breath and the out breath and that that kind of wave back and forth. Um, for me, when uh, you know, I I have a a practice that I posted on YouTube that's just three breaths. That's a two minute video to kind of teach how to do a breathing exercise to um, kind of self regulate and get get back to baseline. Um, and there are, there are also really fun kind of walking, feel your feet exercises. Um, it's as people start to discover more about how, um, how mindfulness and how wonder that they kind of interweave in, in every experience, like, you know, this 
this summer, beginning of the summer, I was, I was swimming and noticing, oh, there's a certain sense of wonder as you're under the water and then up again. We can rediscover a little bit of our childlike sensibility without being um, naive. You know, it's, it's like we are knowing as we get older, you know, but it's, it's like that, again, back to imagineering. What is it like to, to shake up your senses? And um, yeah, so I'd encourage uh, breathing exercises, um, any kind of uh, walking practice, or, you know, or just moments carved in that are like the space between the notes. Um, I started journaling more. I started doing more art that felt like it was not for anyone else, just for me. So anyone else who has a practice like that, I call it kind of a levity moment. If it gives you a little bit of a lift, um, you know, I'd say indulge that, defend it. Um, yeah, you like art. Um, you know, I invested in some calligraphy pens and they just make, make the day even more meaningful when I can sketch and, you know, as I'm on calls or anything, it's like, I'm just kind of infusing that. Um, yeah. And I would, I would love to add too that we, we are in a community together. So as people have questions, if they have questions about wonder or, you know, anything that I'm putting out there in terms of my publications, you can always write to me. Um, I'm very reachable on my website and through the different, um, you know, I'm on Twitter and a lot of the different social media and, you know, we exist beyond that as, as ways to support each other and, you know, introduce each other to other people in our PLN that can be resources in community. So I'd encourage people listening to get involved that way. I love that. So my big takeaways from today, one, one is the idea of breaking patterns. I think one of the things I want to do is in my classroom is to be intentional about designing to break patterns. Um, that seems like an opportunity that, I mean, it's wonderful when it happens and you see it happen, but like to be intentional about designing for that seems exciting. Um, one of the things that I took away from your book, the idea of being present, because I found that that was so rewarding with the students. You know, sometimes we get so latched onto the idea of, of, you know, the tempo of everything and just constantly having to fill spaces and not leaving any room for the organic things that we do. Um, and, you know, and defending that space for kids, I think, is something that I want to focus more on. So those are my takeaways. That makes total sense. In fact, uh, the, the cover um, is inspired by the Sagrada Familia and this idea of stained glass. And, you know, what, what happens when the, the light comes through and the colors start to play and there are those, I mean, you leave that space and then that's where the surprise happens and the, the, the magic that is the unpredictable moments in teaching. So um, I celebrate that and I say, you know, just, Keep me posted when you're reading it because we could have a part two here anytime. It would be a thrill. It would yeah. be a thrill. Caitlin, yes. again, thank you so much for being part of the Homegrown thanks. Podcast. Oh, I'm grateful to you as well and to this whole community. So thanks so much. The uh, conversation flew by and I look We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Homegrown okay, Podcast, recorded live at our Keep Indiana Learning Virtually Different Summer Conference. Did you know Homegrown is not just a podcast? It's also a blog. 
visit us at keepindianalearning.org slash blog. We have practitioners from around the state of Indiana, as well as our digital learning coaches, professional learning specialists, and other thought leaders contributing twice a week to our homegrown blog. Keep Indiana Learning is powered by the Central Indiana Educational Service Center and the Educational Service Centers of Indiana. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Homegrown Podcast.